If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Galatians. And I just want to jump right in, chapter 5, verse 1. Even if it takes you a minute to get there, we'll read a number of verses. Let me start. The Bible says, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, Those in the churches of Galatia struggled because they started their Christian walk the right way. They recognized that their only hope to have a relationship with God was not what they could do, but what Christ had done for them. And so they accepted by faith the sacrifice of Christ. God, because of that, forgave their sins, adopted them as children of God, and they began their walk the right way. But then some false teachers came in among these Christ followers and began to tell them that while they started with the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ, now to continue to be accepted by God, they needed to follow the rules. They needed to measure up to a standard. They needed to honor the traditions. And if they did that well, then Christ, then the Father would accept them. But if they didn't do that well, then they were under condemnation. And so people were struggling in their Christian faith. There was no joy, there was no peace, there was discouragement, there was stress, there was guilt and condemnation. And so Paul wrote this letter to correct their theology and and in order to unburden their walk with the Lord. And it does that, it did that for the Galatians, and it does that for us today. And so now we're in week five, just studying this incredible short letter that helps us to have the kind of faith where we know the freedom that is in Christ. And so I I want you to see this morning as as we start this fifth sermon that there's probably a little bit of Galatians in every one of us. Uh, we think like the Galatians thought. We, we often think that our standing with God depends not on Christ, but it depends on what I did last week and, 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 and how I've been faithful over the last year. We all have a little bit of Galatians in us. And so I thought I would help you see that. Uh, I thought about Jeff Foxworthy, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned his name in a sermon. I don't know if he is a believer or not. But he is famous for giving definition to the word redneck. You familiar with that term? When I was in Ohio, I would have had to have explained that. But I think here, uh, me and you, we have a better understanding. And so Jeff Foxworthy would say things like this. If you have a very special baseball cap just for formal occasions, you might be a redneck. Do you understand these? He said, if you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. You might be a redneck, he said, if the blue book value of your truck goes up and down depending on how much gas is in it. You might be a redneck. Well, listen, I don't know about rednecks, but I know something about Galatians. So you might have a little bit of Galatians in you if one or more of these is true. You may be a Galatian if you feel like you need to wait a few more days before you can pray or ask God in prayer for something because of some sin you've recently committed. You might be. 
you might be a Galatian. You might be a Galatian if you think some Christians have better access to God than you have. You might be a Galatian if you secretly feel superior in any way to your divorced friend. You might be a Galatian if you have ever said, I know Jesus loves everyone, but you might be a Galatian if your recent conduct, your recent sacrifice or something that you've given or some service that you've contributed, if your recent conduct makes you feel like you are on pretty good terms with God right now. You might be a Galatian if you're reluctant to come to church because of what happened in your life over the weekend. You might be a Galatian if you think some people are too far gone to be saved. Or if some people are really close to being saved because of how well they keep the rules. You might be a Galatian if you distance yourself from the church, Christian friends, or God until you can make a change or fix a problem in your life. You see, I, I think we all struggle with being Galatians. I, I think we, we struggle with you know, understanding that we come to know the Lord through Christ, not by cleaning our lives up and becoming worthy of God, but by accepting what Jesus has done. But immediately after that, we, like a car that's out of alignment, we just find ourselves running back over onto that onto that ditch, into that ditch, thinking that now that I'm a Christian, in order to be accepted by God, I've got to follow a bunch of rules. And so how do we, how do we deal with that? How do, we, how do we reconcile the fact that on one hand, the Bible says that my faith both started and continues every day, not based on my merit, but based on what Christ has done for us, Yet, on the other hand, I do want to follow the rules because I, I do want to honor God. In fact, in uh, Galatians 4.19, we'll see in a moment, the Bible says, Paul says that the goal is that we might have Christ formed in us. So how do I balance these two things together? Paul continues to give warnings that they have run off the rails in their faith. How do we stay on the rails yet at the same time? honor God with our lifestyle. Let me just point to some of this. I want you to see that this is a recurring theme for the Apostle Paul. Galatians 3.3, listen to this. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit, you are now finishing by the flesh? You started right, but now it's a do-it-yourself project. We, we, we could look at chapter 4 verse Nine, where he says, but now since you know God or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? He, he, he says, are you going to go back to be, to be enslaved by these things? So what is the answer? How do we honor the Lord with our lives? but not get to the point where the Galatians were thinking that God does not accept us unless we follow the rules. Well, Paul answers that question over and over and over in Galatians 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. He repeats himself. It's such an important message. And I want us to see it again in one sense, but see it anew this morning in another sense by looking in some of these specific verses in Galatians 4 and 5 First, I want us to see three wrong ways 
Paul's going to show us three wrong ways for us to be right with God. And then I'm going to show you from what Paul says here in chapter 5, how it is that we can have freedom in Christ and we can live a life knowing that God accepts us fully because of Christ, yet we can live a life that honors him uh, in, in every way. So the first wrong path would be religious ceremony. So let's look. We're going to read a number of verses. Let's start Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, as we read a moment ago, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the uh, weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? Before you were saved, uh, you were in this hopeless battle to somehow clean up your life, but you came to know Christ and he forgave you of all your sins. Are you going to go back to the old way of living? He says in verse 10, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that you perhaps, uh, that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. So he said the first wrong step they were taking is this is this commitment to religious ceremonies. Now, what he was talking about specifically was Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and the year of Jubilee and some of the Sabbath regulations. And he said, you have these religious ceremonies and, and you're allowing these religious ceremonies to make you right with God, but that's not what a religious ceremony would do. You think that you are getting the ABS, because of the religious ceremony, I am accepted by God, or I get brownie points with God because I've done this, or I feel superior to other people who aren't doing this. He said religious ceremony is not the way to be accepted by God. That's the wrong path. That's going back to the old way of thinking. Now, what about us? We don't celebrate Yom Kippur or the year of Jubilee. What, what religious ceremonies do we have? Well, we do have some. We we have baptism, very important thing, commanded by God. We do it very often at our church. We, we practice the Lord's Supper. That's a ceremony. It's more than a ceremony, but it at least is a ceremony. Uh, you coming to church today, this is, uh, this is a part of a, a ritual ceremony. Again, it's much more than that, but it is, it is that. Many of you right now, or some of you, are, are practicing Lent. Uh, you've shared that with me, and I, I hear people talking about it, and for 40 days, you're doing without something. That's that's a ceremony. That's not something that's prescribed in the Bible, but it's something that many uh, Christ followers embrace. Well, are those things good things or bad things? Well, they're bad things if we do them so as to be accepted by God. If you think God's going to accept you because you practice Lent, or God's going to accept you because you come to church every Easter, then you're allowing a religious ceremony to become something that it's not supposed to be. If you think it earns you brownie points with God, that God somehow is, is, is more on your side because you've done some religious ceremony, then you've gotten off, the, off track like the Galatians. If it makes you feel superior to somebody else who's not doing it, then you're off track. The first wrong thing that we can do is, is Think that a religious ceremony is the key to being accepted by God. That was one of the wrong expressions of their spirituality here in, in the book of Galatians. Now let's look at the second one, self-effort, self-effort. 
Look over at chapter 4, verse, well, I want to read verse 31. It's a long section. It begins in verse 21. It goes to 31. I'll read the last verse and then fill in the details. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Now, let me tell you a story that you, some of you will know and some of you won't. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a time, Genesis, Genesis 12, 13, 14, when God promised a man by the name of Abraham that he was going to give him a child, he and his wife, Sarah, that God was going to give them a child, and through this child, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's, that made Abraham the father of our faith. But a little time went on, and Abraham and Sarah didn't have a child. And so they got frustrated and they got impatient. So they tried to figure out a way to do this themselves. Instead of waiting on God to provide what God said he would provide, instead of depending upon the provision of the Lord, they decided to do it themselves. And so Sarah had a servant named Hagar, and they figured that they could put Abraham with Hagar. I know this is mixed up and messed up, and it was. And uh, they would, uh, uh, Abraham and Hagar would have a son, and they did, and his name was Ishmael. And that was their attempt to do this on their own. And God was not pleased. Now, later on, God, just as he said he would, gave Abraham and Sarah a child. His name was Isaac, and through him, God did bless all the nations of the world through Jesus, uh, the great-great-grandson of, uh, of Isaac. Uh, God, God blessed, um, blessed the world. So here's the lesson. There was, uh, there was a promise of the Lord that I will provide. And then there was the plan of Abraham and Sarah, we're going to do this ourselves. We're not going to depend upon God's provision. We're, gonna, we're just going to figure this out on our own. And so they went that way. God said, no. He said, now Galatians as Christians, how do you follow God? How are you accepted by God? It's not by figuring out your own way. It's not by so rededicating your life so many times and promising I will never, ever, ever, never sin again and making all of these, all of these gigantic commitments and somehow earning your acceptance from the Lord. It is, it is by trusting that God will somehow through Christ forgive your sins. There we go. God wanted to put the emphasis right there. And so we, we don't use religious ceremony to be right with God. We don't use self-effort to be right with God, neither at the beginning of our Christian walk or any day afterwards. It's by the power of God. And then the third one, and this, is, this one's a little sensitive, I'll, I'll admit, uh, it's not by false teaching. So look with me in chapter 5. Let me begin reading in verse 10. Again, there's a longer passage here, uh, but, but I'll read a few verses and fill in the details. He says, I myself am persuaded in the Lord, you will not accept any other view. And here's where it really kicks in. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Paul says, there, there are people there that are leading you astray, that are teaching you that it's by tradition and rule 
that you're accepted by God. He says, those people will pay a penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Now, we talked about the last part of that verse a couple of weeks ago, but circumcision, that was one of the rules that these Judaizers, these false teachers were saying, you must be circumcised or God will not accept you. That was one of their many rules that they had for people to be accepted by God. And so he mentions it here. And then he says something in verse 12, most of our English translations clean this verse up pretty well. It says in my Bible, I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. Now, let me just share the logic uh, that Paul is pointing to. He says, if you false teachers think that circumcision will make you more godly, then why don't you just go ahead and castrate yourselves, then you'll be really godly. Now, of course, he's not advocating that. He's poking fun at it. But what he's saying is we have to be so careful that we don't let false teachers come in and change the gospel. Paul is furious here. In fact, Paul is angry throughout this entire letter because people have come and uh, they they have ruined the gospel. They have perverted the gospel. And if you change the gospel, you ruin the gospel. The gospel says that we're accepted by God because of what Christ has done and our faith in that. And that that's true the first day you're saved, the second day, the third day, and every day from then on out. These people come in and they say, yes, you're accepted by grace through faith, but then you have to stay accepted by God by keeping the rules. Paul said, you've perverted the gospel. He is angry about this. Now, what do we, what do we learn from this? Does this mean that we shouldn't have people to come and preach hard against sin? No, that's not what it means. We should preach hard against sin. The Bible points things out and calls them sin, and we should call them sin, and we should make that clear. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let let us lay aside every sin and every hindrance that so entangles us, and we should preach hard against sin. Does this mean that we shouldn't uh, call people to have a greater commitment to the Lord? No, that's, that's the whole point of Say Philippians chapter three, where it says to press on, to to stretch and grow as a Christian. So we ought to stand up here and call people to a greater commitment, call people to love God and love people and serve the body and serve the world. We We ought to call people to growth and maturity. But here's what it does mean. It means we must not allow anyone to introduce some new standard in order to be accepted by God you must do this. No, we are accepted by God through faith in what Christ has done and that alone. Now, this will cause some of you to ask a question. And if you're asking this question, it's, it's a good sign. You're, you're, you're understanding. Well, then does that mean that I can live any kind of lifestyle I want to live and still call myself a child of God? Well, I can see where this passage would cause you to ask that question. That's a very good question. And Paul knew people would ask that question. And so in chapter five, the last four or five verses, he specifically answers that question. And the answer is no, you can't live just whatever kind of lifestyle and call yourself someone accepted by God. But we're going to get to that in two weeks, if the Lord allows but I just want to, I just, I didn't want you to leave here thinking, well, that pastor said then I'm accepted by faith 
and because of the sacrifice of Christ and my lifestyle doesn't matter at all. No, it matters. It matters in a certain way. It matters very much. It matters, but we'll get to that in, in our next, in our next section. So the Galatians were doing three wrong things to feel accepted by God. They, they really committed themselves to these religious activities as important as these ceremonies were, that, that was not how to be accepted by God. They, they engaged in self-effort. Uh, they, they tried to figure out a way to be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, they embraced the perverted gospel of the false teachers. But what should we do? If on one hand, Christ has made our relationship with the Father secure, and our relationship with the Father is simply because Christ died for us, and we have expressed our faith in that. How then do we live lives that honor and please the Lord? How can the character of Christ be formed in us without this just turning into some self-help book or self-help plan that, uh, that Paul so, so clearly criticizes in the book of Galatians? Well, I think the answer I know the answer is found in two very important verses, middle of chapter 5. I want us to look at them together. Verse 16, he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Now, let's make sure we understand those two verses. Let me show you from those verses three ways that Christ can be formed in us. Three ways that we, that we seek to bring honor to God without becoming a Galatian, without thinking that God accepts us based on uh, our worthiness, our worthiness. Number one, he tells us here we must recognize the battle that rages in us. So you see it right here, in, both in verse 16 and verse 17, but look at verse 17 again. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, the spirit desires what, it, what is against the flesh. We don't need to be surprised that there is a battle in every one of us. I think this is one of the things that so disillusions young Christians. They come to know Christ as their savior, they pray a prayer, and they begin to read their Bible, they get plugged into church, they're baptized, but then they find that they struggle with some of the same sins that they struggled with before. They, they discover that there's this battle in them, that they wanna do what's right, but they find themselves doing something that's different, and the battle surprises them. And so they're, they're estranged from God. They don't feel like they can pray. They feel guilty. They don't feel like they can come back to church because there's this battle raging in me. I'm broken somehow. Well, listen, don't be surprised. There is a battle raging in us. Paul says right here, there's a battle. There's the flesh and it wants one thing. There's the spirit. The spirit is in us and, and the spirit desires another thing. And there's this constant battle. And I think just embracing the fact that there will be a battle, there is a battle, is, is so key in us not feeling alienated and estranged from, from, the, from the Lord. I, I've talked to so many people who've just who were so excited about Christ but have now just faded away and said, well, what's, what, what have you lost? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you plugged in? Why, why, why aren't you worshiping the Lord? And 
They say, oh, I just feel so far from the Lord. I'm just, I'm failing in so many areas in my Christian life and I'm failing in my marriage and I'm failing in my thought life and I'm I'm struggling in this other area and I, I I just don't feel close to the Lord. Well, let's don't be surprised. There will be a battle. It's interesting, the apostle Paul called himself, listen to this, the chief of sinners. If you would have asked Paul, who is the who is the biggest sinner you know? He would have said, it's me. Listen to something Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 7. This is his testimony. You think if you ask Paul to come to your church and give a testimony, that he'd stand up and say, I I never sin and my life is perfect and you need to be like me. Listen to what Paul's testimony was. He says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me uh, that, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me uh, that is at work in my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from this life? That was the testimony of Paul. And then he answered the question in the next verse. I can't leave this off. He said, thank God Jesus will rescue me. Because he knew though that there was this struggle within him that he was still as right with God as he could be because his, his acceptance with the Lord was because of the work of Christ, not because of the battle going on in his heart. So I think the first thing we've got to do, if we're going to live a life, the freedom of Christ, if we're going to li- live a life where we, we honor God with our lifestyles, but we know that we are perfectly right with the Father because of the work of Christ, it starts by recognizing the battle that rages in us. That allows us to come to the Lord as sons, even though we know that there's sin still living inside of us. Number two, these verses teach us that we must recognize the victory that is available to us. Now, look back at verse 16. And this is a verse, by the way, if you memorize Bible verses, and I hope you do, verse 16 would be one of the best verses in all the Bible you could memorize. It'll help you every day in your Christian walk. Listen to it. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit and consequently, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. See, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And while I struggle, and I will struggle this side of eternity until I die, I can change. You can change. I can become more Christ-like. Don't think that you're stuck and you will never get over this. Don't think that there's some sin that you can never have victory over. You can change. He says here, if we will walk by the Spirit, then we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's such good news. There is a struggle within me, but I can have victory. It is available to me because the Holy Spirit of Christ lives in me. 
And I think embracing that, so many of us have these negative thoughts. I can never change. I've prayed about that a hundred times. That's in my life. It's stuck in my life. That's who I am. I'm deficient. Something's wrong with me. You know what? Yes, something's wrong with you. you. Yes, you are deficient. But the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And he can make he can make a change. Romans 6, we studied this a couple of months ago. Verses 6 and 7 says that we have, we have died to the authority of sin. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John uh, chapter 4 that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6 that God who began to work in us will continue and will complete his work in us. You can change. And then number three, if we're going to be accepted by God fully, know we're accepted by God fully, yet live a life that honors him, we must embrace uh, the Holy Spirit who is within us. So look again at verse 16. He says, I say then walk by the Spirit. That's the key. Walk by the Spirit. Now there are two parts to that command. There's the Spirit and there's the walking. Now, what does he mean when he says spirit? He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. We learned last week, the Holy Spirit of God has been placed in you as a child of God. God, God has put the Holy Spirit within you. He resides in you. The Holy Spirit guides us. He warns us. He convicts us. He comforts us. He empowers us. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. So he says to walk in the Spirit. What does it mean? I think that's one of those Christian phrases we use, but we... We don't really know what it means. You should walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, I, 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 I want to give an answer to that question that's practical. And so as I was studying this week, I noticed that there are really four different ways that this is, um, that this is described right here in these few verses. So if you look at verse 16, he says, walk by the spirit. We didn't read this verse, but if you look at verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit as if the Spirit is, is leading us down a pathway. That gives us insight. If you go all the way down to verse 25, which will be there in a couple of weeks, he says, if we live by the Spirit, that seems to imply a day-to-day -day walking with the Spirit. And then it says in verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit so what does it mean? We put all of these analogies together. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? I think, first of all, it just means that we exercise faith in the Spirit of God, that we believe by faith that the Holy Spirit is within us. This has been one of the most important steps in my spiritual life, just to try to recognize every moment of every day, the Holy Spirit is within me. When I'm fearful, the Holy Spirit is within me. When I'm stressed, the Holy Spirit is within me. When I'm angry, the Holy Spirit is within me. When I'm confused, the Holy Spirit is within me. When I'm tempted, the Holy Spirit is within me. We have to practice the faith of walking in the Spirit. I must embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit is within me. Just doing that, just saying to yourself, just rehearsing that, the Holy Spirit is within me. And believing that, having faith in that, that's the first step. What does it mean to live, to walk by the Spirit? We've, we have to know that the Holy Spirit is within us. That God has put his Spirit, his all-powerful Spirit inside of us. The second thing we must do is make decisions by the leading of the Spirit. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is within us and he will guide us. We should ask, what should I do? Where should I go? How should I handle this? 
We should be talking to the spirit that is within us all the time. Not our spirit, but the Holy Spirit of God. When we have to make a decision, Holy Spirit, you're within me. What direction should I go? How should I respond? What should I say? How should I get out of this? How should I take advantage of this? We ought to constantly be asking. It ought to be the conversation of every Christian every day. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, guide me. You know, the heart is wicked. And if I just do what feels right to Noel Deere, I will run my life off the rails in a hurry. But if I recognize that moment by moment, the Holy Spirit will give me wisdom if I ask, will give me direction if I ask. If I can get in the habit, Holy Spirit, what should I do? Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, shine your light. Then I will be walking in the Spirit. Embrace the fact the Holy Spirit is within you by faith. Look for the direction of the Holy Spirit. And then the last part, we need to submit to the Spirit step by step. It's interesting that what it says in verse 25, right at the end of verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to keep in step? It means that you step with the Holy Spirit. It means that you're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Not three years from now, not for some whole overarching direction of your life. Sure, that's, that's true too. But to be in step by the Spirit means that every step I'm obedient to the Spirit. Every step I step with the Spirit. See, I think sometimes when we're faced with temptation or we're faced with a decision, we look to the past and we think, you know, I've messed this up before. I know what my track record is. I know where I'm weak. I know where I have failed. And here I go again. Well, no, in step with the Spirit means you don't look back to your past. You just take one step with the Spirit. Spirit of God in me, what is the one next step you would have me to take? Not, not what happened a year ago. Not what is my weakness. But right now, what's the how can I be obedient to you right now? And, and, and so the other way we mess this up is we look too far in the future. Well, I don't know. Perhaps I'm making a commitment that I can't keep. Perhaps this is going to take me in a direction that I can't handle. And, and we, we're not obedient now because we're worried about the future. No, to be in step with the Spirit means just, just one step at a time. Let's don't overcomplicate this. If I'm going to walk in the Spirit, then one step at a time, I'm going to be obedient to the Spirit. We're accepted by God. Let's, let's do this. Let's uncomplicate our Christian lives. If you're a child of God, you're accepted by God because of what Christ did for you. You know why a ceremony, by the way, I should have said this a moment ago. You know why a ceremony won't make you more accepted by God? Whether it's baptism or, or the Lord's Supper or coming to church or Lent or giving a million dollars. You, you, you know why some, uh, some religious act will not make you more accepted by God? Because you can't improve on grace. You're 100% accepted by God. And nothing you can do will make you more accepted. And nothing you can do will make you less accepted. Rest in that. And now, in the freedom of Christ... Let's just walk with the Spirit moment by moment and Christ will be honored. The Lord will be honored in our lives. Head bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we've, 
We've said it as well as I know how to say it today. It, it doesn't start with you cleaning your life up and presenting something that somehow is worthy. No, it's by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Would you come today and just say to me or somebody else standing up here with me today, I trust that what Christ did is enough for me. And I surrender my life to him. And Christ, through his sacrifice, will forgive you. And you'll be adopted into the family of God today and securing in the Lord. You know, many of us, most of us, we, we know Christ as our Savior, but our, we've just got so much Galatians in us, our Christian lives have become complicated. Let us rest in this work of Christ today. He is alive as so we heard sung a little while ago, and he is alive in us. And let us commit to walking, walking with the Spirit step by step. Father, may you be honored in my life, and may I rest in my relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.